This episode of the Flush Podcast is brought to you by Waltons, Onyx Hunt, Aluma Trailers, and by Nutrisource Pet Foods. The Onyx Hunt app is one of the most valuable hunting tools that I take into the field every day, and now that app is available in our vehicles. Yep, Onyx did it. They launched Apple CarPlay. That means when you plug your phone into your vehicle, you now have the option to open up the Onyx app right on the dash of your hunting rig. No more holding your phone while driving, which is obviously dangerous, and you get all of the same layers on your vehicle dash that you get on your phone. You can see the aerial view of your location while driving down the road, just like you'd see if you're using your own maps, apps, ways, or Google Maps. Except now you can find out if the properties around you are open to the public, the landowner's name that owns the land. And if you're in North Dakota, you can see if that land is posted without even touching your phone. To use this feature, simply make sure your Onyx app is up to date. And if you're not an iPhone user, don't worry. Onyx is currently working on the same platform for Android phones too. Apple CarPlay, the latest incredible feature from Onyx Hunt. Always know where you stand and now where you drive with Onyx Hunt. Welcome to another episode of the Flush Podcast. My name is Travis Frank. I am your host. To my right, actually behind me technically, is Brandon Martin. He is our producer. We are at Bear Cave Brewing in Hopkins, Minnesota. And technically, this is an outdoor show. It is an outdoor show. Yeah. I think you need to move that mic up just a little bit, Scott, so I can hear you. Nope, nope, nope. Other way. There we go. There we go. Now I can hear him a little bit. They have this outdoor patio during the summer, and as many people that uh, listen to the show down south uh, have heard, we have a lot of snow here, and it is cold. But Really? I this, didn't know that. Yeah, they put this, this tent up here, and it's heated inside, and I just dug into, what, what was that chili? Buffalo chili. Bison chili. Bison it's really chili. tasty, too. Spicy. Yeah, it was spicy. It heated me up a little bit. It's about 9 or 10 degrees. Uh, Tony over here just put on his gloves. <clears throat> As I mentioned, this is a live podcast. We appreciate everybody that drove out tonight. There's some beautiful dogs out here. There's a lab. There's a, what, what was your dog breed again? Monsterlander. Small Monsterlander. And that is one of the most beautiful Pops, the coat on that dog. Moose, right? Moose is his name. And we've got a draught over here to our right. So we, we appreciate everybody that came out tonight. Thank you and so much for coming here. We have a corgi over there, too. A, oh, a corgi? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's a few so the nice thing about having the show outside tonight is that we can have dogs. So we, we're, we did a show on the patio when it was like 70 degrees back in September. So we thought we'd give this a shot tonight. Anyway... We know you listening that aren't here right now have a lot of options, so we are grateful that you are choosing to listen to us today. Uh, gentlemen, welcome back from South Dakota. To my you left. Went, went, yeah, yeah I know. To my left, Scott Franzen, co-host of The Flush, and Tony Jones, the Reverend Hunter. You both just returned from the snowdrifts from one final hurrah to close out the season. Which part of your body hurts the most? It's be a better question is which part doesn't hurt. <laughs> Good Lord. My gl I, I, I went to the gym today because I thought, 
I mean, I should get, I got to get back. I haven't been to the gym in five days. I've been in South Dakota. After five minutes of my workout, I bailed, and I just went down to the hot tub. I couldn't do it. My legs, like, wouldn't work. I, I think uh, glutes and hammies for me. Mm-hmm. Knees for me. Yeah. Knees? Yeah. How are the dogs today? Tired. My dog, uh, I got a four-and-a-half-year-old yellow lab named Crosby, and he barely moved today. I did take a little nap with him, which was cute. But he was... Were you um, the big spoon or the little spoon? Was I was the big spoon. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> You're it's always hard. the big spoon. I don't spoon. know about with you guys, but my dog always likes to sleep with his butt to my face. So I have to really <laughs> finagle him to get the head... Get in the, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. I don't know what they... I think he's protecting me. That's why he likes to face outward. But Do you keep telling yourself that. <laughs> <laughs> he's, he kept... He was twitching, twitching, twitching. He was, he was having muscle spasms. And then when I left just tonight after dinner, he went right back to his bed, and he was doing... He was having a dream. Oh. Jason Fezzi's in his dream, for sure. I love it. A non-hunter <laughs> hears you complain, and they're like, what are you doing? What are you, why did you go do that? Oh, why, they did, can't we, understand. why did we do this? Okay, so we're going to do a deep dive into your recent adventure, but I just got this message from a viewer of our TV show, and... I wanted to share it. I like to read stories from, from our listeners and viewers, and this one may bring you to tears. I don't know. We'll, we'll see. I watched the show today about Izzy. Like so many of your shows, tears fell endlessly because of the intense love I have for hunting dogs, or for hunting and dogs. My last dog is Ruger, and he is still with me, but the days are numbered. We went out on our last hunting trip to Kansas this year, even though he could barely walk. He's almost 13 now and has been a great hunting companion since he was a puppy. He made it about 40 yards the first day, but fell and sat down. So I carried him back to his old crate, even though he weighs 92 pounds. Tears fell like pouring rain. My friend, for so many years, wept uncontrollably at my side. The next day, Stuart convinced me to try again, even though I did not wish to see my dog hurting again. We took him to an unhunted area Stuart had saved just for Ruger, and we let him out to hunt. Within 20 yards, I could tell he smelled a bird as his short tail was going 100 miles an hour. Although he struggled and would fall and sometimes dragging his back legs, he trailed that bird till it flushed, and I shot it. The drive and heart was still there. And he fought to get that bird as he had so many before. I drove 1,120 miles to take Ruger there, and it was extremely tough for a 73-year-old. But Stuart and I cried for about 10 minutes, hugging each other and thanking Ruger. Ruger still walks each day with me as best he can, and I am blessed to have him. I will always be grateful to you. Not many of your shows go by without tears falling as you have captured the true essence of bird hunting. I always loved Ron, Shara, and Raven, and I'm glad you're carrying on the tradition. Good luck hunting. That's a great story. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, he talks about you, you capture the true essence of hunting. And that's why I wanted to read this. And also, Scott, because obviously Izzy is your dog. Yep. You know, and this adventure that you just returned from captured the true essence of hunting in a way that not people will ever experience. <laughs> Because not pe- many people will ever go out and do what you two just attempted to do. Most people are a lot smarter. They're than smarter are. than yeah. you. Yes, exactly. Um, 
I'm going to get into your story, but I do want people to know that if you're in the audience tonight, we want you to be a part of this. So um, at any point, if you have a question, you can just walk right up. You can budge into our conversation if you'd like. There's a microphone right here. You can pick it up and put the headset on just like what we're wearing, or you can just talk right into the microphone. We've got some hats. We've got Onyx memberships to give away, some buffs there. Um, grab one of those if you come up and ask a question. We want to hear from you, and I know that you've got some interesting topics to discuss over at this table, so I fully expect you to come up at some point in this show. All right, back to our conversation. Tony, you invited Scott, or did Scott call you? How did this all begin? Scott called me, but I think it was about something else, and I've been pitching this idea for a show for a couple of years because I hunt with these guys who are in their 70s in South Dakota, and... They were very important to me at the, actually the very time in my life I met you when I was trying to kind of rebuild my life, my professional life. And these guys have become so important to me. And I just thought it was, it's compelling. It's a, I thought it might be a fun story, you know. Um, but I think Scott was really desperate to shoot one more flush <laughs> episode. <laughs> Because he was There's a like, little truth to that. We talked, I don't know, when we talked in like kind of late December, and Scott's like, actually, Travis and I both got to shoot one more in January, and the only places to hunt are Kansas and South Dakota, and then you went to Kansas, so that left... Well, that's not true. There are a lot of places you <laughs> okay, can hunt, but, but yes. Those were, his, those were Scott's options, and I said, well, let me tell you about these guys I hunt with and the kind of land we hunt, and, and I said to him... I've never seen as many pheasants in my 15 years of going to South Dakota as I have this year. 15 or 5-0? 15, 1-5. I've okay. been going for 15. I'm, I'm, I'm an adult onset hunter, and uh, I've, I have shot limits. I don't know how many days I've shot limits this year, more than I can remember. And I've been with, in groups of eight guys, eight Eight limits. Eight-man limits. Times four days. Yeah. I mean, it's been crazy. I've been coming home with piles of birds in the back of my truck to clean. So I'm like, Scott. And I said, sold. Buddy, <laughs> we are going to shoot so many pheasants. It's just, it's going to make Travis's shows like, no. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> well, I know about this curse that we have had. Because yeah, the last the time. It's funny because my wife, as you know, is a photojournalist and so she's like, beware of the camera curse. Curse yeah. of the camera. Because <laughs> when that starts, when the camera starts following you, things tend to go a little wonky. Yep. But that's, you know, I have gone to South Dakota in January for the last, each of the three years that South Dakota's had the extended season. Okay. Since they did it. And my first year, I went, uh, and it was very warm, and it had just snowed, and it was a bonanza. Okay. Magical. What you absolutely a late season dream hunt. Yeah. Last year was tough. It was like this year. In fact, I'm sure a lot of your listeners are uh, uh, Pheasants Forever members, and I have a story about that hunt in Pheasants Forever Journal, the one that just came out. The one that came out last week. Yeah. Or two yeah. weeks ago yep. or something. Yep. Okay. So I've got a story about that that hunt in there. Same deal. It got colder and colder, and suddenly I was hunting alone on the last day. Um, and then well, I was just like, well, this year there's so many birds. So I pitched Scott kind of on, um, 
about doing about coming out with me, and and he took the bait. I took it readily at first, and then as <laughs> it got colder and snowier, I was like, Tony, what do you know about the snow conditions out there? Yeah. Oh, it's not too bad. You better I, bring snowshoes, though. What? I mean, I went out the week between Christmas and New Year's, and I hunted just with me and my buddy Jorge, and uh, we worked hard, really hard, but we shot limits. Um, but I did tell Scott, like, well... I was hunting these shelter belts, and I think the drifts were between 10 and 15 feet high inside the shelter belts. So, like, can't hunt there. Uh, you know, you, we had to be creative. Um, but we were shooting birds even then, Oh, too. you're saying when you got back out here this last no, week. No, no, no. no were... That's how it was after Christmas, between okay. Christmas and New Year's. Um, but so, but I, still was shoot, I was still shooting two to three birds a day, and we were finding birds. We were seeing a lot of birds. So I thought, you know, well, it's, it's more of the same. It's just a little tougher, but we'll be fine. Sure. That's what I thought. <laughs> well, we're here, so I guess we're fine. <laughs> we survived. I survived, but the, the updates that I was getting were not positive at well, it, all. It, it did start a little slow. We, we drove out on Sunday um, hoping to hunt the golden hour. And I'll tell you... The golden hour in late January isn't quite the golden <laughs> hour that you picture as a pheasant hunter. You know, the sun setting, everyone's down to their shirt sleeves. It's, it's cooled down to 50 degrees. No, this was the golden hour of, you know, like uh, we got to our first field and... Let me interject yeah, here please, for a second. Please, please. This is how the hunt starts. We get to our first field, we make a plan... Tony and his friend are sitting in the back of the tailgate with this Jorge. He comes out of the field, takes a turn, and his friend tumbles off the back of the truck. Jorge comes all over. And Gun, I'm like, oh, garage sale off the back of the truck. Oh, no. This is going to be interesting. Snow plugging the double barrel. Oh. And my buddy John gets up, and you know, he's my age. He's 54, and kind of dusts himself off. And he's like, that's Jorge. <laughs> So he throws us off the back of the tailgate. That's like the very first thing very that happens. Very first thing. And, and in Scott's vehicle are Scott and the photographer, Aaron. And they're just like, what, what have we got ourselves going into? on? Because even to get into fields, we had to get through drifts. So we either had farmers who had plowed us in, or we'll get to another thing we did, or, or we just you know, rammed our pickups through the drifts to get and that's kind of why he was driving like that, I think. Yeah, he had to get out or he got stuck. But I We don't. did get stuck a few times. Well, to get where you needed to go, someone brought a snowblower, right? Jorge had a snowblower in the back of his pickup that Most rode, hunters rode around with us for three days. bring a snowblower when you go hunting, but it makes total sense. Have you sense. ever seen that? Have you ever seen a, somebody pheasant hunting with a snowblower no, in the back I, of their I truck? No, I carry, I have a shovel. Yeah. I have toe straps. Yep. I have a lot of gear in my vehicle but i've never thought about bringing we actually, a snowblower we, it's actually we a used the snowblower we we were going to a spot and we pulled into the turn and it was uh blown and plowed in it was a minimum maintenance road that's not and Jorge says okay well i'm gonna get the snow blower down tony you and scott start digging us out with the shovel so all right he did we start digging and he fires Jorge's funny, seven, funny by the way Jorge's 72 years old i might add and he's about 
5'10", skinny as a reed, and he's manhandling this snowblower through these drifts and directing us on where he wants us to chop the snow down so he can blow it out of the way. And we blew a, a swath wide enough for the trucks, went maybe a quarter of a mile, and the rest of the road was blown in. So we could never got to the <laughs> you spot. You never got where you wanted no, to go. No, no. no. <laughs> Funny, though, think of it. Aaron was the biggest, burliest guy there, but he was real busy with the camera yeah, during right. that whole shoveling In his period. defense, while you're out there normally having a good time, they've got this heavy camera oh and all gosh. these batteries and everything. I thought so shoulders. many times. Uh, oh, did you I, wear snow? I'd, ra I'd rather hold a gun that, over my shoulder than a camera than a over camera. my shoulder. Aaron yeah. was, I'll, I mean, just, I'm sure we'll say this no, uh, multiple times, but Aaron was an absolute stud. I Truly. I, I've been on one other shoot with guys from your place, from your outfit, and they've been incredible. They were incredible too, and followed me into the mountains of Colorado chasing elk. Um, but this hunt, I mean, this is—it's it, a rare breed uh, cameraman who, with a smile on his face, followed us, and we can get into what it was really like. Um, and, That's what know, we're here for, Tony. Go I, ahead. I, well, I can't wait to see it. I can't wait to yeah. see some of the footage, but. Um, I'll just say, like, we're, we, here's the funny thing about hunting this time of year, is we saw fields with two or three hundred pheasants. We saw one field probably with a thousand pheasants, between a, flying between a field and the shelter belt. Mm -hmm. Probably one thousand pheasants. I flock shot at that one. I That's hard for <laughs> most people to just wrap their head around, oh, yeah, truthfully, yeah. unless oh. you go to a place like that. And, and, we, and I'll add in, we're three quarters of a mile away from these birds, and we'd stop on the dirt road, and they'd all leave. They'd all go to that's shelter right. as soon as we stopped. So that, that's how spooky they were. Which I just want to say, I did get a call from a, a, a mutual friend of ours when I was coming home from a hunt this year, and he'd seen my photos on, on Instagram or whatever, and I was like, I oh, shot limits, blah, blah, blah. And he calls me, and he's like, it's not that hard shooting limits of planted birds pen-raised birds that their state of South Dakota is releasing, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, these birds we were hunting for the last four days? Yeah. No. They are wild and crazy, and they are so predator-savvy by this time. This is the big difference between when I was out there, you know, three weeks ago and when, I was, when we were out there this time. The weather was about the same. The snow, there's a little more snow, but not that much more. They are so predator-savvy. They're... And they're so grouped up. You know, when, they're like, when there's a group of two or 300 pheasants feeding in, in a cornfield or uh, standing in a shelter belt, they're basically a single organism. One, one, one goes, they one all go. senses danger and takes off. You've seen it. They yeah. all go. Well, a lot of times, too, when you get into an area like that, typically the conditions, you know, I... I shouldn't say typically, but a lot of times, if, if the birds are that wily, uh, and we're working through it, I say, guys, just keep moving through. Just keep going. We're going to catch up to a bird. A bird. You know, or a couple will hold, and that's pretty common. Four, 40, 50, 100, 300 will get up, but something's going to hold, usually. But what they're not going to hold in is a shelter belt or a food plot where they're on top of the crusty That's snow. That's the difference. Yeah. They're not. There's the they have only to have some place, grass. And we tried yeah. some of that. The only place to hunt was where there's cover. 
is is cat thick tails. cover, cat which tail. is cattails. Yeah. And what's cattails like when it has snowed three feet and rain? All the cattails were bent down well, from that ice storm. See, that's that's the last hunt I I went on in Minnesota. Here, I mean, we've got a central Minnesota is miserable right now too. I mean, we're talking feet of snow, and in the cattails, it's blown in. In these, you know, we were texting back and forth, Scott. You're talking about the tunnel system under there. My dog on our last hunt, she went on point. <clears throat> Excuse me, <clears throat> she went on point in the cattails, and she was only 30 yards away from me. But I couldn't, for the life of me, get to her. That's right. And I couldn't, for the life of me, flush that bird. It was like a 15-minute ordeal just to get to her. And I, there were times where I had to use the butt of my gun to break the crust on top because I'm nipple deep in snow. Yes. <laughs> you know? Yeah. I really. Travis, like, you would have needed a snorkel. It was like we were. <laughs> knee deep on you guys. Yeah. But yeah. So uh, you would have been underwater. In yeah. Snow. Yeah. But I never did get that bird. I eventually called yeah. her off point because she was standing in there and. Buried, I which I'm see sure it. I don't have a pointer, but I'm sure it's something you never want to do. Is call we talked a about this? Well, yeah, today. we talked about yeah. it today. Is, is and you, I've you, hunted with Daisy too. many times. She's a wonderful dog, a, a fantastic dog. She would have hunted and gone on point multiple times, but then you would have to do everything that's counterintuitive to her training, which is you got to go in there and flush that because you yeah. could not kick these birds up. No. So, so your dog is what was needed to get the birds up, there, there's, right? There's, I mean, you guys both have labs. There's so much scent. There is so much scent. that, I, and, and again, nothing against pointers because there's other terrains and other times of year when probably pointers are ideal. We did say a couple times, well, we, we had Jorge Springer, and Jorge Springer, you, just like picture in your mind a Springer, and then Double add another Springer and <laughs> mash them together. That's Jorge. Jorge Springer is like a little tank. Not a little tank. I mean, he's thick, broad. He's 55-pound Springer. He's, he's twice the dog. size of Springer yeah. you expect. So were the dogs able then, to stay on top of the snow, or did they fall through as well? They fell through. Both. For sure. Yeah. They did both. But, I mean, you can imagine. You've been here, too. It's, it's this funny thing where you're walking on the snow, and you take a step. You're like, oh, pretty good. I think I got this. And then... Boom, you just fall down, and yeah. yeah, you're chest deep in snow, and you're trying to climb up, and you're trying to keep snow out of your gun, and your dog is like, away your dog goes. Yeah. And, and, your, if, and your dog's birdie, and so you're like panicking, like this might be the shot, there. I have to get there. <laughs> and there's nothing to, to uh, get leverage on to get yourself, <laughs> so I fell down, and I felt like a turtle. You know, I just like laid on my back and rolled around until I could feel ground and, and get myself up. But, and then Aaron fell down with the camera. And, oh, it, no. and Jorge would fall down and call his dog over to him. And then he would use Benton like as a step stool, his springer, to get back up and get up on top of the <laughs> snow. So we did, you asked about snowshoes. On and off, we used snowshoes. There was one hunt where we hunt a, hunted a creek, a frozen creek, obviously where all of us wore snowshoes. And I think that helped. And we flushed one rooster. You know, there's a two-hour hunt, and we, hunt, and we flushed one rooster. And I missed it. It was a long shot that I missed. And we'll talk about the close, Scott did we'll talk about the close shots. We'll talk, about, we'll talk about the close shots. No, I want to talk about your misses right <laughs> now. Let's talk about these close shots. They're too close, Travis. You know, when they're too close, yeah. your pattern's not out. Everybody misses when they're that close. Well, the cameramen always get my misses. Like, best shots of the whole trip. My misses are yes. always perfectly captured. My best shots, you know, 
oh, I was actually filming this hen flying that way. And I'm like, and I, I hit that rooster at 60 yards crossing and you missed it? And you got the one where, I, you know. But there's something about having the camera there that they always miss. So I assume Aaron, being the professional that he is, he documented all those. I know he got at least two of my misses, and there was three. Outstanding. Yes. Outstanding. And they're all the same day. Yeah. All, and, two and of them you were, don't two have enough them. content that you can no. go without using no. those and misses. At, at, at the point where I missed my first rooster, we only had one, right? And it was perfect because Aaron and Tony had made their way to a minimum maintenance road that had blown off enough that they could walk decently on it. And they were to the west of me. And I'm in the middle of the slough and, and Millie's working really hard and, and, and she's hot, hotter than normal hot when she's following these birds. And you can talk to the cameraman in your microphone. So I could say, and Aaron, what, how far are you guys? 250 yards? 200 yards away? Or 100? Yeah, no, we were Between probably... Between 100 and 200 yards. Anyways, yeah. I can say, Aaron, Millie's really birdie. So I can see him swing. And Millie goes, and, and that's the other part, and I told you this today, and Tony and I talked about this a lot. The birds that the dogs are getting up, they are fully submerged under the snow in the cattails. The dogs are. The dogs, the dogs are. are. Dogs you are. lose you sight of your dog. So you might yeah. see a tail, but most of the time the dog's gone, and sh this rooster comes out, does a turn at it like 10, 15 yards, and I fan twice. Just miss it twice. Do you, and, let and me ask I you this. Did he throw the guys ball into the snow drift and walk away? Do you guys have a bleep button on the, <laughs> for the TV yeah. show? <laughs> I, I have some friends here tonight and, and that have hunted with me a lot, and they've heard all of those words uh -huh. many times. Yeah, So I'm not shy about when, when that happens. And I was you so... Did wanna, I think you swung your fist. I did, you that was so the second <laughs> one where I swung <laughs> so my if fist. If those friends have any stories that they would like to share, oh, you know, yeah. why don't you come up and share your favorite uh, Scott Franzen moments? It, the, I don't mind admitting I miss, but when I miss and I and, and we were every rooster was a premium. Yeah, and that night, so we'd hunted a day and a half. So before this hunt, Tony and I are texting everyone we know in South Dakota. What's the snow like there? What's the snow like there? And every place we talk to is, well, it's knee to waist deep. You know, where are you? Did, oh, it's no better oh, here. Tell about all like all the other hunting groups, parties we saw in South Dakota when we were there for four days. That was only, one of my questions is how many hunters did you see? So just one. The coyote hunter from the state in the airplane shooting coyotes. That's the only other hunter we saw. I, I was going to guess zero. But yeah. not, no one. No yeah. one. No one. And the people who live out there are like, you boys are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> what are you doing? We'd walk into gas stations in Orange, you know, and they're like, uh, all your buddies left like a month ago. Yeah. <laughs> Have you seen what? the snow out there? <laughs> I bet it's pretty simple to get permission this time of the year. You know, we, uh, huge, huge kudos to Scott and Paula Hamilton. We stayed in their lodge. It's their first year. They haven't even advertised it. It'll be on the show. It's Prairie Bridge Lodge. Great place. It's uh, between Wessington and, ha and, and uh, Hitchcock. Hitchcock, yeah. So they're... They're, the Hamiltons, oh, they farm a lot of ground around there. They're awesome people. In fact, PF sells a grass seed blend that, that Scott Hamilton came up with called the Hamilton blend of seed. So he, I mean, just here's a little insight into like what the, these guys do out there all winter. 
he told us to go hunt this one slough. And this is the slough where uh, Millie bumped up these, like, six birds, and two of them were roosters, and super, super, super easy shots that Scott missed. <laughs> <laughs> and... <laughs> He's, he's like... What's the point of this story, He goes, that's Tony. where we... Feed. <laughs> I just want to keep doubling keep down on that. Keep talking. <laughs> he's like, that's where we feed the deer. That's where we feed deer. So we go there, and there are deer. There's 50 deer there. 50 at More. least. And then we drive up to this slough, and this slough is probably 80 to 100 acres. It's a huge slough. And the deer run up to the top of this hill, and then they just stand there and watch us hunt for three, four hours. So Scott comes over. And you guys over. made it like 150 Scott. yards <laughs> yeah. in that time? Well, it's funny. When he says, like, I was 100 yards from you, where you and Aaron were on that minimum maintenance road, it took you 30, 20, minutes, 20 30 to 30 minutes to, to get to there. us. Because he's pounding through just deep snow, waist deep snow. So I, I asked Scott later, I'm like, oh, that's interesting. You feed these deer, you know. I know you guys like Scott them. Hamilton, not me. Yeah, yeah, Scott Hamilton, Farmer Scott, okay. I asked Far- Farmer Scott, you're feeding all these deer. What's that? You know, is that, oh, you must have awesome deer hunting. He's like, oh, no. No, see, the problem is the deer, like the pheasants, they all group up in the winter because that's how they survive. And we need to lure them to this one field. All the farmers around, we lure them to this one field because otherwise they uh, come to our fields, they climb up on our hay bales, and they defecate and urinate on the hay bales, and they ruin the hay, and we can't feed them to the cows. And this guy's got 1,200 pairs of cows because he raises beef cows. And so he's got 2,400 head of cows that he's feeding every day all winter. So they're luring the deer away from all their other hay bales. With the food plots. With the no, no, with hay. With hay, hay with and corn. corn. Oh. Hay and corn. And so then the, the birds are there too because there's right. corn there as yeah. well. And, and there were birds there. And we would hunt one end of the slough and get done and go back to the car and we'd turn around and look and the 50 or 25 deer gone back to the other end of the slough and just waited down there. They were just waiting us out to get back to the food. So he's pulling the deer. I mean, it's, it's things like that that, yeah. that you just... if. It, the city life that I live, and I'm like the gentleman hunter who goes out there five times a year to shoot pheasants, I don't think about these, man, these ranchers that are raising 2,400 head of beef cows and uh, keeping them alive. And feed, I mean, now they got a cold snap coming, and he'll be out there. Meanwhile, he's inventing new seeds of grass, and it's pretty amazing. It's you know? interesting, And yeah. then so... I think you're exactly right to your point. When you go late season, um, no one's asking you to pay to hunt their field or whatever. They're just, like, happy to have someone to talk to, frankly. And we had the Hamiltons over for dinner one night and made pheasant burgers and had a great time. Did you find any dead birds out there? We did not. I, 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 I saw... Um, I didn't find any. I saw... A, where did I... I saw at least one... Coyote killed bird. Oh. And you saw a coyote killed deer. Deer. I found another dead deer. But we didn't I didn't see huge signs of like bird mortality, you mean. Do you think that you would have seen it though if it was there? Yeah. Because I think they with would the bury, they'd so be deep. underneath it. Yeah, so when it melts, if you they're might gonna see die, it. they're gonna be way down. They're gonna be way down and buried, I think. That's, but but I cleaned my birds, and we talked about this earlier today, Travis, and I yeah. cleaned my birds and they were marbled with fat. Mm-hmm. They were 
very, very healthy. Crop, full crops. One, well, one had a full crop of corn. Uh, the other one's crop was empty. But they were in great shape. Based on what you saw, the fact that they pretty much all evaded you, well... Um, Wait, are, we're, we're going to get to the part where we talk about the bird's eye shot, right? Yeah, we're going to get okay, there. Okay, we've got to save something for the TV show, Tony. <laughs> okay. No, we'll get there. Based on what you saw, do you feel like you're concerned about the birds in South Dakota right now? Not yet. I, I, and, and then you can answer the question too, Tony. Um, not yet. If the winter continues to be cold throughout February and then we get into March and there's a big moisture event, then I would be. Um, they had plenty of reserves right now. The fields were not packed with snow. They were up in the fields. They're picking. Yes, they're more vulnerable to um, birds there, but that's not the same event as a huge moisture weather event that can kill hundreds or thousands at a time. So if we can get a warm-up for a period of time, um, I think they'll be just fine. But that's, you know, those, those, it's those March storms, I think, that can be the real yeah. nail when in the coffin. When their reserves are low and then they get right. socked that one last night. They get wet, March. it freezes again, yeah. you know, that whole thing. Yeah. Um, one thing that I think is interesting in, in this whole winter that we're dealing with across Montana, North Dakota, South Dakota, Minnesota, down in, you know, it's some of it's stretching into Iowa. These gentlemen over here are from southern Minnesota. I, I do want your report for what you're seeing down there in a minute if you're willing to come up. But if this would have happened last year, I think we'd be in a much different place because of the drought that really hammered the Dakotas and Montana and Minnesota. The drought went away this spring, and some of the habitat was the most robust, thick habitat that we've seen in those states in a couple of years. I hope that saves some of these birds because if it was last year and they, the grass was so thin and short and not much cover, I don't know if, we'd, if you would have found the same bird numbers out there. Well, they can get cover in the sloughs right now. I mean, they're, they'll burrow, they're down underneath. They're not... Um, exposed for predation at that point from the, at least the birds, but... Um, Describe the tunnel system that they're using in the cattails. Well, so the cattails themselves are mostly bent down from that freezing rain that happened in November. And then the snow came on top of them. And, and you can see the pheasant tracks and then they'll go kind of into a little tunnel, if you will, under the cattails. And the dogs would be <clears throat> either following that and follow it into the tunnel. There's one time where Millie was coming back to me, broke through the snow and picked up a scent and literally went right under there and flushed a bird for me. And, and, and many times, because most of I was by Crosby and Millie, you'd see them go under the cattails and they'd be under there for minutes and come out, go back under, come out, and, and the bird had eluded them. But it was there at one point, and they couldn't figure out which way to go. And then um, they would go to a different part of that drift, try and break it down and see if it was there. And it, it was really interesting to watch them, especially for Millie, who's only in her second season. Crosby's done this type of hunting before. 
process that and figure it out and then, you know, try and get them. But how, I mean, we had to walk over hundreds of birds that, oh my gosh, that you never For got sure. up because, well, you, know, you couldn't see them. There was, there's no fresh snow. So there's a ton of scent. There's old scent and new scent. And you, you're just walking. Yeah, you get to this tunneling. You call it a tunneling, but you could also say they're like caves, basically. But at the edge of a cave, you'll see all sorts of pheasant scat. But that could be from a month ago or two weeks ago or last night. And I'm, the dogs, you know, as you get to know your dog, I suppose depending on the breed, I'm a lab guy, so I really only know labs. But you can tell when they're, like, hot and when they're really, really hot. hot. And, um, and, and sometimes they stumble upon a bird, you know? I hope you've bagged a few pheasants, grouse, and quail this season. Maybe even a few ducks, geese, and deer, too. Whatever you're hunting for, Waltons can help you finish the hunting process, bringing your wild game full circle. Whether you need to mix, grind, or stuff, Waltons will surely have your new favorite pieces of meat processing equipment. Don't spoil your hard work in the field by letting that meat get freezer burned. Save right now on vacuum sealers and bags. Bag up your birds, your jerky, snack sticks, and summer sausage, and have your meat last all year for long-term storage. Find everything, and I mean everything, you need to process and prepare your meat at Waltons.com. And while you're there, sign up for their free monthly giveaways and check out what John Tremblay and the Waltons team is working on in their meatgistics community. Waltons, they have everything but the meat. I love my dog, and like you, I always want to make sure that she has what she needs to stay healthy year-round and perform at her best in the field. That's why I feed Daisy Nutrisource high-performance dog food. Nutrisource dog food comes with their good-for-life system that includes four key ingredients that work together to support gut health, heart health, and the overall well-being of our dogs. I have complete confidence that my dog has all of the nutrition to excel in the field and make it through a rigorous hunting season. I've seen it firsthand, and she loves her food. Take it from me and my dog, Daisy. Nutrisource high-performance dog food can help your dog reach their full potential. Find the food that's right for your dog at NutrisourcePetFoods.com. If you're an outdoor lover on the go, then odds are good that you have toys and equipment that you want to haul. Aluma Trailers, well, they've got you covered. Their trailers are built by a hardworking team in Bancroft, Iowa. They have models for nearly any and every hauling need, from ATV and UTV trailers to utility, snowmobile, motorcycle, car trailers, and even fully enclosed trailers like mine. Trust me when I say that Aluma Trailers tow like a dream. Their trailers are constructed out of lightweight, strong, corrosion-resistant aluminum, and they are 100% maintenance-free. Plus, they come with an industry-best five-year warranty. Visit alumaklm.com to find a trailer that fits your needs. So, one of my most memorable hunts that I've ever been on, I never bagged a bird. Colorado, up in the mountains, and we were so high up, the elevation hurt. Everywhere you went, it hurt. You just had to move at a pace that was so slow. And there were so many challenges constantly. Another snowstorm, another snowstorm, just getting punched in the face, and we're not getting birds. We're not getting them. But I can't forget that experience. Was there something about this awful pheasant well, hunt that you guys went on that makes it special in that way? So after the uh, second day, I was, Aaron and I are talking on the drive back, and we're talking about the hardship. At this point, we've done the snowshoe hunt. We've all fallen down. He's, he's gotten more 
So many snow images shots of me falling down. Knew. And I said, well, you know, what about Travis's Colorado hunt? Can we do something like that about the struggle? And, you know, if we just get one bird, even if we don't get a bird, because at this point, I don't think we'd shot. Maybe you had show, you shot at that rooster, but I, I hadn't shouldered my gun yet. In two days. In, in a day and a half. That first night, a two-hour walk, and then the whole next day. And Aaron, Aaron's a photojournalist, and he sees things very differently. And he said, well, we don't have any mountains. We don't have any color. It's all white. I don't think it's going to be the same thing. We need to see some birds. I'm like... No said. Okay. okay. <laughs> we'll work on that. Okay. So you guys struggle. But wait, you, you had me cooking pheasant burgers. We had that. Yeah. yeah. And Tony almost set fire to the VRBO. People want to watch a hunting A 22 minute episode on pheasant <laughs> smash burgers. Pheasant burgers. <laughs> what ultimately led to you guys coming home with smiles on your face and not well, being 100% frustrated? I'll tell you what. Um, you know, we were making a lot of decisions on the fly. Do we hunt here? Do we hunt there? Um, should we drive down to Platte? I had some access to some stuff down there in shelter belts. Shelter belts are going to harbor a lot of birds, but very tough to film. Because wherever the cameraman is guaranteed, all the birds are going to flush on the other side of those trees. Correct. Right? Yeah. You've probably done that. Yeah. Uh, which could be great for a hunter, but terrible if the cameraman's following another hunter. So we finally, uh, I called the farmer, Farmer Scott, uh, after our third day. And I was texting with his wife and talking to him. And he's just, it's funny because she, his wife texted me, Paula texted me and said, uh, hey, Scott wants to come over and talk to you guys tonight about hunting. And we'd been with them the night before and had a late night. And we were fried, like out of gas. And it was after dark, and we're driving back to the lodge, um, having eaten some steaks in Huron. Then it's a 45-minute drive back to the lodge. You know how that is. Tired. And Scott texts me or calls me from his truck, and he's like, hey, can we have Farmer Scott? Can we talk to him tomorrow morning? So I text Paula, and hey, can we just talk tomorrow morning? We're beat. And she goes, no, we're leaving at 6 a.m. tomorrow for a soil conference in Sioux Falls. He's already there at the lodge waiting for you. <laughs> he, was. he was. So we pull up, and he's sitting in his pickup truck on his flip phone because he memorizes every phone number of everyone he knows. He does not store a phone number. This is a special wow. guy. So he comes in, and we tell him how the day went, and we pull up Onyx. And he looks and he says, I think you go here, and I think you go here. And, and it was two farms you'd already hunted. Two and farms we, and, already And we hunted. had good footage. from. We had some footage from there, not yeah. quite the footage but we got the like, last day. But he knows these farms. He's like, the, the, this flock of birds, they go between my brother's farm, where there's corn out, and this, and this shelter belt, and this slough. And then this other, you know, so... The next morning, Jorge had already told us he wasn't coming back for day four. And then we wake up, and John's like, yeah, I got work to do. <laughs> and he went back downstairs. Says the unemployed guy. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. He had work to He's do. He's retired, but all of a sudden. He had to cruise yeah. LinkedIn for yeah. a few hours. But the temperature had dropped to 9 or 10, and the wind had picked up to 20 to 30. Yeah, it's neg 10 uh, wind chill. And so just the, it was just three of us and two dogs on, on day four. 
Tell, well, well, tell what happened. So we went, we had a choice of the two farms, and Tony and I said, well, let's check out the other one first. Because there were some smaller sloughs that we thought we could either pinch or push, depending on what, you know, what the wind was doing. And as we pulled up to the one, we watched 150 birds come out of the shelter belt. And they dumped into this other slough that was attached to it, bigger than the one we were going to hunt, but smaller yet. And we go, okay, well, we can hunt those. And we pulled into the farmyard, and then another 25 birds got out of the kosher grass and went into that same slough. So we called each other and said, well, let's just sit here for 10 minutes and let things chill a little bit. So as we're sitting there for 10 minutes, we watch the birds come out of the slough walking on the far west side. So that's maybe a quarter mile from us. And just start walking one by one, up 10, away. Away out of the slough. We're like, where are they going? Come back, Fezzi! There's nothing up there. (laughs) And, And... we're like, this is cursed. What is happening? We Who was well, cursing who the most? Are you cursing Tony? Tony, you're cursing Scott. I'm more? a pastor. No, I don't curse right. Travis. We weren't cursing, cursing. We said this hunt is cursed. Oh, and, we're uh, cursing each other. Yeah. And, and no, then yeah. uh, we said, well, there's still some birds in there. There's got to be. Yeah. We saw a bunch go in there. So then we start walking down. We could walk down this minimum maintenance road without a lot of trouble and, and get into this. So we had to cross over some, some barbed, barbed wire. wire. Yeah. Some, and as more we're drifts, yeah. figuring out where Aaron can get over with the camera and everything, all those birds in the field came right back into the... It was like, it was like we had was decoys like, out. <laughs> yeah. And you're duck hunting, you go, holy crap, that whole flock just came right in here. <laughs> get <But> ready. Also, <laughs> It might have also been like those pheasants got up into that field and were like, this is stupid. It's yeah. really cold. Let's go back into the cattails. Because <laughs> they were out, uh, yeah, just out in the middle of a field. And we make our way in through snow at our waist. Now the dogs are on top of the snow, though. But, and we're also being like, I think it was worse yesterday. This isn't so bad. <laughs> but, and you then, know, you become then, accustomed to it. Oh, the well, but that, that first walk, it was my hands were blocks. Oh, yeah. and, and all of Aaron's and trying to think of a camera guy with his hand up like here, all the blood's rushing right. down. His remote mic thing shut down from the cold. Yeah. The batteries just shut down. It, it, so it, the mic, so he's filming a silent movie. And, and we're trying to get through the snow as the dogs are hitting that scent and they're mm, going. And, and birds <laughs> are popping. They're popping, 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 pop, pop. And I got one 40-yard shot. And you hit it. No. no. Oh, no. It. it just, that was it. 100 birds up, gone. And the only one things in range were the hens. And we got through the slough, and we're like, oh, my God. And Aaron goes, that was awesome. I got all of that. (laughs) (laughs) Tony and I, like, we didn't didn't shoot. (laughs) I never shot. He shot once. And and, uh, and he goes, oh, but I got tons of birds. He goes, I can't feel my fingers now. I'm like, I can't either. So we walked back out, got in the trucks, sat for five, ten minutes, kind of warmed our fingers up. Wrapped. Wrapped. Shout out. Oh, he just left? Wrapped a modern carnivore buff around the battery pack yes. to keep it warm. To keep it warm. And, and then he goes, oh, yeah, now I can hear you guys. That's working. And then we get in the smaller slough we were going to hunt originally. Yeah. And we get a few hens up, things like that. And that's when Millie dives down. And I go, Aaron, Millie's on something here. And she's all the way under this snowbank and cattails. And I don't see her. And I hear this. And this bird comes out with no tail. 
but I can see color. Mm. And I missed. Mother, mother. <laughs> bam. I, and then I got him. And he's down. And, and I to, marked it. To, and Mark, marked it. Tony marks it. And he's like, yeah, Scott. And I get out there after a half hour to where it's Mark. <laughs> and the dog's gone again. And Tony's like, it's, it's right in there. Let's start looking. I go, well, she's over there it's under the snow. And How far uh, from where you saw the bird go down? Ten yards, maybe. Oh, okay. And she comes out with the bird in her mouth. And she's having to swim up the snow like this and makes it over to me. Tony makes it to me. We a high five. We bump. Oh. And it's so funny because I just got to say, I was thinking about this today. I thought, if I'm ever on a hunting show, I'm never going to high five. Same. I hate that. <laughs> I hate, I hate high that. Five. I'm like, that is so, you don't high yeah, five after you kill an animal. But we, oh, yeah, we freaking high fived after this one. And yeah, then we kept walking. We, Aaron goes, well, I, I, we're good. He goes, but let's, if you guys want to keep hunting and I can get some more, we can take this slew around this way. You got to understand, that's maybe uh, that's like a, 200 yards. That was an hour, another hour and a half. It's like a 90-minute commitment. Let's just hunt this slew out. It, yeah. It's like, oh, yeah, an hour and a half. No so problem. So we spread out, <laughs> and Crosby put up another bird. Tony shot it, and I don't know if Aaron was on the shot because we were sp- spread out at that point, but he got the whole retrieve, and it was the coolest thing I'd seen at that point because Crosby goes running across the snow, and he's on top, breaking through, on top, breaking through, and he went, blew by where the bird was. And I, and I said to Aaron, I go, where's he going? That bird's right there. And Tony, you can hear him kind of cheering him on, and sure as you know what, Crosby, that bird ran, and he saw it, and he came back with that bird. Same thing, breaking through the snow, breaking through the snow, and then, you know, Tony holds it up or 50, awesome. 60 yards away, and, and I said, Aaron, did you get all that? And he goes, yeah, I go, that was cool. And then the rest is, that was it. We got some more birds up, no yeah. more shots. Well, we don't, yeah, I, I could just see this. I'm sure people right here watching you guys, it's like two best buddies out there, like you're finishing each other's sentences. Like when you go through a struggle yeah. like yeah. that together, yeah. you instantly create some sort of a lifetime bond. Well, <laughs> Tony, Tony, is, Tony is such a great host. And, and I, I was trying to, I know he felt immense pressure, didn't you? <laughs> yes. And I was trying to eliminate that. And just, he's like, it's okay, we'll be okay. And, it, and even though I was a little nervous after the first day and a half, um, and then Aaron would talk me off the ledge. Yeah, we'll get it. Don't worry. It'll be okay. And the, the lesson is like any hunting trip, it doesn't matter if you're doing a television show or not, you stick it out. Yeah. You know, you're not, oh, toughing's, hunting's hard and tough. Let's go home. No, you, you, if, you if stick you it out. If you make that last walk, this, hunt, this conversation right now would be different. We would have had a much be... different show. We could have made a show, but it would have been but much different. But I'm not different. talking about the show. Oh. I'm talking about just telling the a story. story. But it's yeah. the same, just the show ex- or even t- talking about it, telling yeah. the story. You're right. And, and we were making jokes on the drive over on the last day. And, you know, it's Thunderdome because guys kept not getting, like, Jorge's gone. John's gone. It's just us. Two men enter. One man <laughs> leaves. <laughs> <You know? laughs> it's like, and just us and our dogs and Aaron walking kind of in between us. And, uh, and we were all gassed. I don't know oh, that man. I could have done or Aaron could have done another. I don't know. I know the, I don't, the dog would have hunted, but she, I mean, you saw Millie today. Yeah, she didn't move today. And yeah. one of her paws is a little tender right yeah. now, we'll say. But she did not get out of that comfy little bed yeah. all day. I never saw her leave it. But it, it, 
and, and that's just the hunt part of the story. We have a personal interest side of this story that's unbelievable. We'll let it. We'll let, let it that play out on the show. But yeah. I want to. I mean, I appreciate the kind words. I'll say it's it's. I like to hunt like that. I mean, I I hunt every day I can out there. I hunt. I said this on camera, and I'll say it again here. I mean, the fact that Jorge's 72, he's had cancer twice that I've gone through with him. I've been down at the Mayo Clinic with him. He's been through, he took me in at a very, very hard time in my life. Every day I get to hunt with him, I'm going to take, even no birds, okay? Scott said something after shooting that bird. This time of year, every bird is a trophy. You don't shoot for limits. You shoot for one bird in three days, four days. But I will say it's, 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 not, a, it's not a show that's going to, be an R3 highlight reel, okay? <laughs> yeah. It's not going to recruit new hunters. Yeah. People are going to think we are crazy, but here's the thing. I am crazy about pheasant hunting, crazy yeah. about it. I absolutely love it. And to find somebody else, they're very, I mean, even other people who are crazy about hunting wouldn't hunt with me that day, but Scott would. Your like, friends that you brought out there didn't they even wouldn't stay even hunt with you. me. <laughs> I had to. I was getting paid to do it, Tony. So. <laughs> he had to. He had to come it's, up with it's, something. It is, no, it's, it, look, truth be told, it is a rare breed. It is? Of people who like to hunt, people whose dogs are tough enough, and people who have the mental... It was, it was physically challenging, but it was mentally challenging because you're not only not hitting birds, you are, I mean, you're sweating, like soaking wet three layers, and then you stop. And then you're freezing. And then you're chilled. You know, you can't feel your fingers. I remember one, I don't know if, I'm sure Aaron got this because I said it on the mic. I said at one point in that first slew when we first got out, when his fingers, I said, I can't feel my ears. I said I couldn't feel my fingers. I couldn't feel the safety on that, that bird right. I shot at. So it's just, why would you do it? Because you love it. You're passionate about it. That's why you do it. Because you're yeah. passionate about it. And I know people who listen to this podcast are passionate about upland hunting as, as the three of us are. And I think it's awesome. I, I love it. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a, to me, it's a human endeavor that has so many things going for it because it's physically challenging. It's mentally challenging. You get to work with another species of animal, your dog. Um, you get to, and it's, not, and it's not a human endeavor you can ever perfect. You can right. never be the perfect hunter. You can only get better, learn more, become a better shooter, better dog handler, uh, learn more about the land, learn more about the pheasant, whatever it may be. Right. Yeah, I, and, I, and part I, of embracing that challenge is what should make hunting so special to you, each individual is what you have to do to overcome it. Because if you always go out there and they always just get up 10 yards in front of you and it's always a perfect day, that's not, that's not real. That's not reality. And it, it shouldn't be. And if you don't ever experience that, then it, yeah, I think it skews the reality of what right. hunting is. You're not them. willing to try it, yeah. maybe. But I, I would say, and you hit on this, Travis, sharing that with someone makes the experience that much more memorable. And you share it with your dog if you're alone, and that's memorable too, but you, know, you might 
talk to your dog. Hey, remember that time we went to Saloon? And it's like, yeah, no. But the, Tony and I will have this bond forever. Right. Yeah. And yeah. the last thing I would say about this, maybe, maybe it's not the last, depending on what you ask, is you should not do this alone when the conditions are That's like right. that. Um, and if you do, you need to let people know where you are. You need to go out prepared with a change of clothes, if you think, but definitely a shovel, a toe strap, a cell phone that works, and play, because it, it's, it's not easy. And there, I could see people having real health issues in a slough like that. Sure. Um, and so, and if you go down, they're not finding you till spring. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. Yeah. If you're alone, you go down, you, you can't see anybody. You're under the snow. You're under the stuff. So that, I would, that, that state trapper who's shooting coyotes might see he you. He might when, see you. When he sees the, all the coyotes around you. <laughs> so I would say if you're going to do and, and that's well, and this Jorge is 72 does, does yeah. go out by himself. And yeah. I'm like, dude, you're crazy. Well, the season is still open. This podcast will be out uh, hours after we finish this. And it runs through the end of January. So um, <laughs> this is not an... It's not like this is what happens every January. Last year at this time, there was very little snow on the ground. Yeah. In fact, almost no snow. So therefore, the hunt was a completely different hunt. This is something that doesn't happen very often. And so I'm glad you guys went out there and did it. I'm glad that I you're going to show that. I think <laughs> I know, you know that it's over. People think of the golden grass and, the, you know, oh, it's cooling down to 50, you know, like you talked about, Tony. That's great. Well, let's go smoke a cigar on the balcony and yeah, have a drink. Yeah, it was none know, of that on no. this one. No. no okay, no. so... It's over. Finalized. Finished. You're done. I think we should bring Brandon out there next year if the snow is yeah, like this. Yeah, you talked about that. <laughs> Brandon's shaking his head no. Okay, so your season is over. Um, what's been the highlight of your hunting seasons? I'll ask both of you. Was this potentially it? Because it's so ridiculous that it was awesome. I mean, I'll tell you what's, what's crazy is that I've, I've had numerically like pheasants shot the best year of my 15-year pheasant hunting life, for sure. And yet, this hunt, where we had four days and between six and two guys, and we shot six birds total. We came home with six birds total. That, of course, yeah, yeah without question, this is the one I'll remember. This is, I'll remember that retrieve that, that uh, Crosby, Crosby made, for sure. Um, yeah, that's what I'll remember. And I'll, re I'll, I'll, I'll even remember, I mean, it's poignant to think, you know, Crosby's four and a half, yellow, male yellow lab, Hank was five. I've, I thought about that a lot when we were out there. Like, you don't know when you're out there. I, every day I have with this guy, I just want to love him up, hunt, hunt with him. He was just born to do this, you know. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, I'll definitely remember this. I, I have, you know, s several things. <clears throat> I would say, uh, for me, this is the most I've ever hunted in my life. Um, because I know, I never saw you. You were I never know. at work. I was working I was going to talk to you about I was this. researching and working a lot, Travis. <laughs> <Right. clears throat> and um, it just, I'm in that space in my life where I, with work and family and stuff where I can do that. And I got to hunt with all my best friends. I got to hunt with new friends. I had some tremendous hunts, and I saw this pup evolve, you know, from, to an unbelievably trustworthy and good hunting companion. And, and you know, she did things in her second season that 
you know, it's hard to remember, but I don't know if I could point to other dogs doing it. And it was just all of it combined for, at this point, maybe my, my best season. But there's a lot more to go. The only thing we didn't get was a great duck shoot this year. We scraped out a few, but I missed that. I want to have uh, waterfalls. A, a waterfall, a good waterfall yeah. shoot. We tried, we tried, but uh, this weather this fall was crazy. So anyway, so I, I, I always count a hunting season as success when you get to hunt with the people you love, the animals you love, and meet something new to hunt yeah. with. And I checked all those boxes. Yeah, it was fun because we kept in touch throughout and there were times where I would be in, let's say, North Dakota and then you'd be coming up the next week or all of a sudden I show up in North Dakota, yeah. there you are, and we're hunting together. Like, quit following me, Travis. <laughs> right. But um, you do anything it was for such a, a fun, such a fun season. Um, and I got to hunt with Millie too and see her and Fine. And we got to hunt, the four of yeah, us, which I had never know. happened before. I know. I remember walking down this draw, and you're like, oh, we're going to go to the spot. And I, I was, you may have recorded this or not. I don't know who was filming at the time, but I'm like, I don't know that I've ever flushed a pheasant out of this kind of grass or whatever it was. And like 20 steps later, Millie goes and finds his pheasant, and you shoot. And it goes down, and I see Millie running like 30 yards the wrong direction. And I'm like, what is going on right now? And boom, she comes back with a bird. And they're like, oh, yeah. And I shot four birds out of that. And I agree with you. I rarely shoot birds out of that kind of canary grass. Yeah. But they liked it this year. They liked that spot. They liked that spot. Um, any, uh, I feel like. Yeah, we, we've been talking the yeah, whole night. Yeah, you guys won't shut up over here. Yeah, I'm so sorry. We can't get, uh, does anybody want to come up and ask a question uh, or have anything that we want to. Um, Talk about any stories about Scott, guys. I'm looking at you two right now over there. They only know the G-rated stories. All right, all right, all right. Um, okay, so we do have Pheasant Fest coming up in a couple of weeks, and we're all going to be there. Tony, you're going to be there. you got a big, important role. What are you doing at I'm Pheasant giving Fest? The, I'm giving the invocational prayer at the, at the banquet on Saturday night. Nice. Yep. Yep. Are you nervous? Bob said I have two to four minutes, and I'm like, nobody wants a four-minute prayer, Bob. <laughs> nobody <laughs> wants a four-minute prayer. Well... No. Have you ever... Publicly a- prayed? Yeah. A lot of blue and gold banquets back in the day when I was a pastor. You know, the Cub Scout banquet. You'd roll in and do the little invocation. Yeah. I can... I'm not, I'm not nervous. I'll be fine. Yeah. Yeah. That'll you'll do good. great up there. I had the, the privilege to emcee that banquet last oh. year, and I will tell you that unlike you, I was nervous. There's <laughs> 1,500 people out there, and that's a... That's a lot of show to try to keep moving. They do a great job. They plan everything. I'm just a puppet up there, really. But it's a cool honor to be able yeah. to do that. Yeah, Scott, cool. uh, we're going to be we're going to be there. We're going to be there. We're going to be there uh, Friday, Saturday. Well, Thursday. Let's start there. The, the film festival. Yeah. We, so there's a film festival on Thursday night that kicks everything off. We submitted an entry. We. Well, it's not an entry. It's just a film, I guess. It's not a contest. Let's right? call it a film. Yeah. It's a film. It's a film. Okay. But it's, yeah. it, I've seen the first cut of it, and it's fantastic. It's, oh, you did watch it? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I snuck back there. It's oh. Travis's hunt I didn't know in you were Alaska. in the office. I haven't seen you much lately. Yeah. I was doing research. Uh, so that starts on Thursday. Um, and then, yeah, Friday. Friday is the bird dog kicks off, parade the kicks bird off. Bird dog it. parade. I noon. did get asked by Bob. Uh, Daisy and I will be the grand marshals nice. of oh the bird gosh. dog parade, which I'm excited about. That's yeah, awesome. super cool. I will have to talk to her though because she needs to, you know, 
be respectful out there. <laughs> well, you have to so see if she'll excited. agree to it. Yeah, I know. Bob said, well, you and Daisy. I was like, well, I'm in. I got to talk to Daisy first. <laughs> I don't know if she will do it. Uh, so that would be uh, Friday, Friday to kick everything off. And then um, we will, I will get all this information out there, but we are going to have Upland Trivia Friday night. And we're still finalizing the details on yep. that. It will be open to the... Anybody. To anybody that wants to come, yeah. uh, we'll get all that information out there for people. But we have a booth. Yep, we have a booth at the show. But the but the live trivia it will be this podcast. Yeah. Yeah. So, so we're going to record Friday night a live show like we did last year, except for um, I plan it'll be a game show, <laughs> and people are going to be invited to come up and be a part of the show. So really, kind of looking forward to that. Um, I working out the contestants on the show yet, so stay tuned for that. Um, and it, it's just, it's then a funny gathering. Too. What's you're that? speaking. Uh, oh, yeah, so... Um, you want me to tell you your whole weekend, yeah. Travis? Friday and Saturday, I will be speaking on the Public Lands Pavilion stage, and my, I was asked again this year to speak about raising a family in the outdoors. I think if you go back into our podcast last week, uh, Mark Norquist from Modern Carnivore joined us, and there he is right now. Yes, thanks for coming back out. We kind of touched on some things that I've been, Mark, that we, we talked about family and moments, and um, I, I think it really changed kind of what I want to talk about. So I haven't really nailed or landed on what I want to speak about, but it's just been sitting with me that some people have to go through the struggle before they get the success if they ever actually want to enjoy the hunt. You know, there's so many times where people just get brought out there in the field on, you know, it might be planted birds or whatever. And so there goes birds, there's birds, they're getting up, they're getting up. But if you truly want to be a hunter that appreciates all parts of it, you have to go through a struggle at some point. And, I, and I've heard stories from other adults in different uh, seasons with their kids or with first-time hunters that some hunters haven't taken to it. Um, and some hunters, Mark, we talked about a guy who walked a mile into the woods and yet he's still hunting. There was some struggle that he went through that he overcame to now have this desire to keep hunting. Tony and I didn't go through a struggle yeah. at all. <laughs> but I, I'm glad we had no, uh, no, you know, I'm glad we weren't mentoring anybody yeah. on that. Yeah. You don't know that because <laughs> I went yeah. through some terrible hunts that made me want it so much more and yeah. appreciate what I was able to achieve out there. And if you don't have the chance to learn on your own and achieve some of those things through struggling, I don't think it means as much. So therefore... I'm telling you this because I don't know what I'm going to say yet on the stage. <laughs> I talk about my kids a lot and raising a family in the outdoors, and that's what they want me to talk about. But and that's how we Friday get there, and Saturday. Friday and Saturday, yeah, all the stage times. If you go to pheasantsforever.org, they're going to have all the information about Film Fest, about you know, all of the parts of the show. It's, it's something that we look forward to because we get, Scott, we get to talk to the people that right. um, share our passion and enjoy moments of certain things that we've done or the misses or, you know, when your daughter's made fun of you, that's probably the most 
common, yeah. you know, show. Yeah, I missed, I missed a I, lot then, too. Yeah. And when, a common my, denominator when my wife here in the was shows out there, there, I can't tell you how awesome it is to get that feedback from people. Will you bring Daisy to the booth then on Friday for Well, a she'll be there for the parade, yeah, if, if she agrees. Yeah. I, have I might to, bring uh, Millie on Sunday yeah. if I can get the press pass or whatever we have to get. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So we're looking forward to that. Um, and that, like I said, everything is on Pheasants Forever's website. And um, as far as some new clothing, I think, Scott, you, you've got well, some things you're going to well, Yeah, we're going to be rolling out some new uh, hats, some quarter zips. Um, we have uh, some T-shirts that will be coming out. Um, but... but those won't be at the event at Pheasant Fest. It will be our quarter zips and our hats. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, Got you a, an extra buff. What's that? In your, for you, extra buff. An yes. extra buff, yeah. Nobody wants to ask any questions to these two guys, these clowns. How about anybody have anything for me? You want to come over? Oh, okay. Here we go. You, all right. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Grab that microphone. Moose. Look at Moose. What a dog. Isn't he gorgeous? You... Yeah, there you go. You can just talk right into it. All right. Hi, guys. My name is Brody. Um, I know pheasants are a favorite topic on this podcast, and it's definitely my favorite bird to chase. But one bird that I'm interested in chasing soon here are chucker. I'm wondering if any of you guys have gone on chucker hunts and have any insight or advice as to where to start and um, I guess any tips on getting involved on in Are, are you chucker. thinking you want to go on your own? Um, I guess that's a good question. I hunt with a group, and we have a couple dogs, and I think we could handle it if we had a little bit um, of advice mm -hmm. on where to start. But I would definitely be open to going with a guide if that was an option also. Yeah. Uh, I've chucker hunted in several different states, and it's a bird that uh, kind of like the challenge that we've been talking about here. It's a bird that challenges. They call it the red-legged devil bird, uh, mainly because... That thing will run up a mountain, and when it flushes, it flies all the way down. And you just, like, you have such little room for messing things up to get them. Um, it, it really should start with the planning with the group that you're going to go with. And if you're going to go with a group, kind of like these two here, you see how there was four, then there was three, then there were two? It's important to go on that kind of a mission with somebody that's committed. You want friends that are, they realize that there's going to be some struggle. You have to get up to the elevation that they are. You don't know what that's going to be until you get there. And I've hunted with some people before when we got out and we said, we're going up there. And they're like, what? You know, and so they need to stay with it for you to be successful and enjoy the trip. So start with your friends, make sure they're in it. And then there's a lot of places that have birds, a lot of states uh, west that have birds. So you, you can do some research. Uh, a lot of them live on BLM land, most of that western mountainous areas, uh, vast, but also open to the public. So that's kind of the fun. But uh, I would say... Idaho. Yeah, Idaho, Nevada. Um, Wyoming. You know, I would... I mean, if, you're, if you want probably like the chucker capital of... The lower 48, I, I would just say Nevada, I think, is probably most known for chucker. But there, we, we got them in Wyoming, too. So um, 
it's it's just a challenging, fun bird. And I think, I mean, that dog right there would love it. You're gonna love it, obviously. I think it's cool that you're considering it. And where are you from? Um, I, I live in New Hope right now. I'm originally from Wisconsin, so grew up hunting and grouse, waterfowl, and yeah. I think what draws me to Chucker is just the challenging, the challenging terrain, and yep. they're just a hard bird to bag, and so it's, it's on my bucket list for sure. Yeah, I think you're going to want to plan a couple of days of failing before you find them, right. and then hopefully give yourself a couple days, because once you put the pattern together, you go into some of these places, it's... Like, it's not like you go out to South Dakota and you've got a 240 acre or, or even a 640, a full section. Like, that's just a small little piece of the mountain that you're going to be climbing. So you, you have to look at it and say, it might take us most of the day to find one. Once you find that one, where was it? What time of the day? What was it doing up there? And then you start to put these pieces together. It's a lot of fun. It's it's. It's different because of the elevation and the terrain that you have to go through, but you won't forget that experience. And I always tell people the first day or two should really just be a learning day. You're trying to absorb as much as you possibly can when you're up there. You might stumble on them right away. If you've got a dog that ranges out there and is willing to go to the top, you don't have to. That's all the better, too. So that's why you know, some of those big dogs that like to run are excellent chucker. What was the show? Was it Wyoming that you did where you were, that we filmed that you did a, and you got chuckers or what was the, Oh, if he I'm, wants to watch one, we've, we filmed a few chucker shows. Yeah. Bill did one in Hell's Canyon. Yep. If you've seen that one. And yeah, then, I did one in the Snake River Canyon in Idaho. Yeah. Uh, Wyoming. That was it, yeah. Um, Nevada. And yeah, there's, there's a few on there that, I mean, it, it, You've seen it. If you have interest in it, you, there's a reason why, right? Yeah. I think you have to turn the mic. Yep, there you go. Um, I, I don't think that I've seen the episodes, but I've definitely seen videos of trucker hunts, and there's mm -hmm. a big draw for me to take on a challenge like that. And um, I don't know. I guess I, I appreciate your guys' advice, and it's something that I definitely want to pursue. I'll push my friends and family to start planning a trip and chase those birds. So thanks, guys. The only thing, I, and I haven't done it, but I would add to what Travis said is give yourself a full week. Don't go there expecting to, he said, scout a couple days. Well, all of that's going to take time. If you're going to try and do a four-day trip, you'll probably be disappointed. So give yourself the time to just yeah, it's a get long there. It's a yeah, long way it's to a long ways. There, so. You got to scout, yep. and then they're hard hunts, too. Okay. Yeah, that's good to know because I definitely consider myself a weekend warrior when it comes to hunting. I do. I live in Minnesota, but I travel to Wisconsin, the Dakotas, Iowa, all throughout the fall, um, and definitely spend most of my weekends hunting, but that's good advice to just set aside a whole week for something like that if I'm going to pursue it. Because so. you don't want to make that investment in time and money, and, and then you're, you're going to do a five-day trip or a four-day trip and on your fourth day you finally figure it out and you get one bird but you know where they all are and you go crap i gotta go tomorrow yeah so give yourself the time to do it because it's worth it awesome thanks guys hey, yeah, you want a hat coming up you might want this onyx membership or figure out which state you're gonna go to yeah yeah either one grab something you want to come up we have another one right here trap yes yeah go ahead my name is Michael. Um, 
I guess more of like a philosophical question. So I'm pretty new to hunting. Um, my dad kind of introduced it to me, and then with my friend Brody, he's introduced it to me more in college. But um, I've really kind of only experienced maybe five or so pheasant hunts, and then I deer hunted a little bit, a little bit of waterfowl, but kind of listening about the South Dakota trip and just like what what is, uh, why is Upland like your hunting of choice and specifically pheasant? Uh, I'll answer that and then you can jump in Tony and Travis too is, is being with my dog first and then my friend second. And when you duck hunt, it's usually you and maybe one or two other guys and one dog usually. When you're upland hunting, you can hunt with up to well, you get a lot of guys, but, you know, say four to eight, you might split up, but you have a bunch of different dogs and things like that, and there's a camaraderie to it. And, and, but you, do you have a dog? Not yet. You need one. Mm-hmm. Fix yeah. that. <laughs> Fix that, Because as soon as you get that dog, you probably won't ask that question because the love that you might have for it now, it triples when you see your dog you know, put up its first bird and you shoot it over it and that excitement. And then you feel almost an obligation to hunt with that dog. And Tony and I talked about that on this trip is, you know, is even the struggles that they're going through, these dogs loved every minute of it. And that helps you want to break through that snow with them. And, and be, that's why I was so disappointed when I missed these birds. I've missed a lot of birds and I usually get mad, but I was disappointed in myself after seeing this effort that my hunting partner put into trying to get me this shot. And, and I think if you get yourself a dog, um, you know, come back to the next podcast after you have your dog and see if you ask the same question. I, I'd, relate, I'd relate those two questions together, actually, because I think um, when you pick your breed of dog, you're making a choice about what kind of hunting you're going to do. And um, I'm a lab guy. I love labs for a lot of reasons, because they're tough and they're trainable. My, I was telling Scott that earlier, when we were out there, I think my dog's number one priority in life is to please me. That is not Benton, uh, the Springer's number one priority in life is to please Jorge. But my dog's, that is what he wants to do, and he wants to retrieve. He mainly wants to retrieve. And... Um, I'll tell you one thing I, I, all those things Scott said, here's one thing I love. I hunt with a lot of guys who hunt with pointers for pheasants, and here's what I love. Hey, Tony, can you and Crosby come over here? We've got a cripple. (laughs) And my pointer's totally uninterested in cripples. Or, Or a dead bird, we can't find a dead bird. Come over here with the lab, get the lab. We need a retriever. And I come over and eight Eight times out of ten, Crosby finds that bird. Because we've had this bond. If I tell him, fetch it up, that's other guys say dead bird. Or I say fetch it up. That means there's a dead or crippled bird in there. He just knows if dad sends me in there, there's a bird in there. Mm-hmm. And he won't come out till the bird. So I like to pheasant hunt in tough conditions and waterfowl hunt. Okay? And that's, that's, that's lab territory. If you like to short grass hunt on western North Dakota and or western Dakotas and further west for chuckers and quail, my lab can't do that. He'd have a heart attack. He can't climb mountains. He's a fifty. You know, he's a sixty-two pound lab. 
It's, it, that's not, so you make that choice and then you kind of lock in and then you build friends around that hunting that you do. And yeah, I have a core of, you know, there's four or five guys and you met a couple of them, Scott, uh, who do this hunt with me. So that's, I also personally love, I think pheasants are beautiful. I think pheasant, um, I think pheasant tastes great. <laughs> yeah. And I think pheasants aren't that hard to shoot. <laughs> I mean, they're big. Sorry, nothing against you, Scott. But in general, I tend to hit most of the pheasants that get up in front of me because they're um, a little bit bigger. So there's a, I think there's a success rate that would be, I hunt rough, rough grouse. And, but because I hunt with a flusher, I've made the conscious choice. I'm not going to get frustrated because rough grouse hunting is not ideal for a flushing dog. You want a pointing dog if possible. So I hunt grouse for fun, but I don't often shoot them. I often hear them flying away. <laughs> we'll go grouse hunting. Let's do uh, grab one of these items or Thank multiple you. of these items, and then let's do one more question. Do you want to come up? or I don't wanna, I'm not going to force you to come up, but if you'd like to, we'll do one final question here tonight. Name and how many years have you been hunting? <laughs> a lot. <laughs> uh, more decades than years, I guess. So four-ish, something like that. So been around, I mean, we've done this for a long time. We're southern Minnesota guys. We hunt northern Iowa. We hunt South Dakota. That's our northern Minnesota grouse, things like that. The comment we were talking earlier, um, what I'm noticing, late season, you know, it used to be, okay, it's busy in the fall, everybody's duck hunting, everybody's bird hunting, everybody's, you know, you, you, there's people everywhere, you're used to that. Usually, you'd get past Thanksgiving, things start to filter out a little bit. You're not, you're not seeing as many people around, it's a little bit easier. We're, we're public ground hunters, right? This year, I have never seen anything be as busy as what it was. Northern Iowa was crazy. I mean, right to the bitter end, right to the last weekend. There's, there's people on every cotton picking driveway, and what, which is good. I mean, I, we want people out there. It's frustrating at the same time. I'm wondering if you guys got any insight. I mean, you think it's because of the reports of good bird numbers? Is it because it's easier to get that information now? Yeah. You know, that there's more content. You know, like what you guys do, and I'm not being critical at all. We, we take it in all the time. We, we love this show and, and a bunch of the other ones we talked about earlier. Is it because it's easier to get that information and know how good it is, or, or what's your take on it? Yeah, I think there's outlets that people are, you know, I mean, we certainly share what we see out there, and, and we tell stories from the field. Um, it's probably a topic that we could talk hours about, really. Uh, the popularity of upland bird hunting growing is a really good thing for everybody. It can be difficult though when you try to go somewhere and there's somebody else there and that's, that's a real struggle. Um, bird numbers in northern Iowa and you know throughout Iowa and Minnesota this year too, the bird numbers were great. So it was easy to find that information out. We were sharing it, Pheasants Forever was sharing it, Tyler Webster was sharing it, other podcasts you know that talk about bird hunting, they're sharing it. So if people are listening and you say, it's really good over there, most bird hunters travel because of the public land aspect of it. Most deer hunters don't travel. 
you know, they have their property. They have their 80 acres or 160 acres or whatever it is. Wherever they go, they climb up in a tree and they sit there. And sometimes they sit there for days. Bird hunters don't. They go. They move. They walk. And now with all this information so easily accessible, it leads more people to good areas. And there's waves that I think the populations go through. And all of a sudden, this area isn't the best. And now there's a big wave of people over here in Montana. And everyone in Montana is complaining. Yeah. And all of a sudden, everyone in South Dakota is complaining the next year. Go to Huron in January. Yeah, it'll be Kansas <laughs> yeah. next year. So... I I, I, I would, if I could add, I, I think social media has a big in, in, impact on that. But from what I saw this year, it's very hit and miss. I am a public land hunter too. I hunt a lot of western Minnesota. And I rarely, the only time I came to pe people on the spots I wanted to hunt was when we were filming. <laughs> and, yeah. and it's like, crap, there's somebody there. But otherwise, um, I didn't see it. But then I heard the same thing in northern Iowa, and part of that is the reports before the season, things are more real-time now than they were before, but it's, it's still hit and miss. And, and Let, let's say 20 years ago, 30 years ago, you wouldn't have gotten a hunting report from somebody until you were at the Thanksgiving table with your cousin. Right. No, that's, a, that's absolutely right. I mean, that's, that's how you found out. You talked to your buddies, you talked to your family, yeah. you, you ran into whoever, <clears throat> and... and and don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm not being critical of the whole thing. It's, it's good. I'm also wondering, do we actually have a lot more people just plain old out there now? You know, are, are we recruiting, you know, the, the triple R, all really that kind of thing? That's a good question. I, I think you know, are we seeing more numbers of people? in the middle. Yeah. That yeah. there's more people hunting, but then there's a, uh, you know, kind of a congregation of people through getting information. And they go, hey, I hear it's really good in northern Iowa. Let's go there. And, and then it's easier to do research now on it. Look at all the public areas right. we're going to hunt. Blah, blah, blah. We'll make a trip out of it. Yep. I, I think you can, we can go back and look at the last few years at the Minnesota DNR website or Iowa or South Dakota, and they'll tell you how many licenses were sold, and that'll give you an accurate number of where we're at there. But it wasn't long ago when the numbers crashed. Right, Yeah, right. And it directly relates to bird numbers, too, which directly relates to habitat. I mean, it's all these cycles and things that come and go in winter and everything. So uh, there's me, a lot that goes into it. I, I just want to throw this out. I, I, we hunted private land. It's private land. We all asked to get permission to hunt. A lot of it I'd never hunted before. I went to, I, I, went to, I had a, this thing where I preach in exchange for hunting, and I did that down in Marion, Iowa this year, and I was all, it was all public land. Guys took me out. We saw a lot of hens and a lot of footprints of hunters. And as I was about to leave, I just was like, I know this one guy who grew up in Marion. I texted him. I'm like, hey, I'm in Marion, where you grew up. He texted me back five minutes later. He said, hey, my brother says you can go hunt his farm. So I, on your way out of town, I was driving back to Minneapolis. I drove to his farm. I'm like, oh, well, okay, what the heck. On the way, beautiful day. Sunday, I just finished preaching. I get to this farm. It's like a section of standing corn. One guy, one dog. Section of standing corn. I'm like, yeah, right. Oh, well, I mean, what, I'm here. Get the dog out. Uh, I was like, I guess I'll just walk the edge and I'll send the dog in. He'll run in, you know, 10 rows of corn and we'll get a little exercise for the dog because he'd been crated up all morning. Rooster, rooster, rooster. I shot a limit in 10 minutes in Iowa. What a show up. Because, because I got access to private land right. that had not been hunted. And 
I just think the later you get in the season and Onyx, you can look people up and you'll get nine no's, but you might, the 10th call, you get a yes. Mm-hmm. And then you get to go hunt some private land that hasn't really been trampled. And I just think, I, I know guys used to do that back in the day. They knock on the door of the farmhouse and ask to, and now everyone's a little, uh, I don't want to get people mad at me or whatever. And people, you know, I, I, in some ways, I think social media has also, we're like a little more afraid to approach people personally. No, 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 no. I think people are. Well, I know a lot of people who will not ask for permission on. So anyways, that's just my encouragement yeah. to everybody out there to like ask landowners. I think. For sure. I've had a lot of success doing that. Yeah, I think there's better success in some areas with yeah. that than there is in sure. others. High traffic areas, for sure. It, 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 it's a little bit tougher. They get, there's yeah. too many people knocking on the door. And later know? in the season, it gets easier, too. Right once, on, once the right deer on. season's over, it gets a lot easier. Yeah. 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 Thanks for coming out tonight. Yeah, we really no. appreciate it. Grab Gentlemen, something. I think with that, we are going to wrap up tonight's show. Thank you to Bear Cave Brewing for letting us come out. Uh, Scott, we've done four shows here this year. Pretty yeah, cool. It's yeah, great. we've met a lot of different people every night that we've done this. I've enjoyed it. Um, Appreciate everyone that came show. out in the snow and the cold. It's, um, it's good to be able to talk about this. And like I said, we'll be at Pheasant Fest in two weeks. Is it two weeks already? Two weeks, yes. Holy crap. All right. No, well, three weeks. Okay, good. Better three write that ahead. talk. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you better work. You got to worry about the I'll prayer. work on that yeah, four-minute prayer. Brandon, good work tonight. As always, thanks for putting this together. We appreciate your hard work. We'll be back next week with another episode of the Flush Podcast. 